Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Autzen Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Jared Mack on the show today. Monday, your mailbag. Uh, Eric's off this week. Uh, so if you're wondering where Eric is, he will be off this week. Uh, I took control of the mailbag. That's a dangerous thing. So let's get going here. We got six <laughs> questions. Uh, first one comes in from Garrett Jenkins. Um, do you think the transfer portal being so relevant that a student athlete will put their name in at least once in their career just to test out the waters? Um, Jared, my first reaction is it depends on the sport, but secondary answer is probably common that a lot of players are going to do this. Yeah, I think, um, I think Garrett and our, our question asker probably is referring to football. Yeah. Um, if I'm wrong, you know, please let us know on Twitter. Use the hashtag Ots and Audibles for us to find that. Um, if it's football, yeah, I would expect a lot of players to put their name at least once in the portal. I don't think it'll be every single one, but uh, I don't know. It could be anywhere from like 60 to 75%. Um, I just think it makes the most amount of sense for these kids to you know, really try to find out what they can, what they can get from other institutions and other universities. Um, in terms of if NIL is still around in a couple of years, um, just in opportunities, uh, you see that already, um, you know, with a player like Caleb Williams, who just committed to USC, um, you know, he put his transfer or his name in the transfer portal out of Oklahoma, which is, you know, a great program. And obviously he had a lot of suitors after him in the portal and he picked USC and he's already has a deal from uh, Beats by Dre and he's the a co-owner of some uh, food company now, I think it is. So when you have those types of opportunities at 19, 20, 21 years old, that can really set you up not only for football down the line, but for your personal life down the line and your professional life. Um, I don't see why any player wouldn't do that. Um, it's going to be, it's going to cause a lot of gray hairs on fans and coaches to, and, and potential of who's leaving. But I think it makes the most sense for them. I mean, everyone, everyone, whether it's our professions or you're in the business world or you're a teacher, engineer, what have you, everyone at some point dips their toe into the the pool of, of seeking a new job, seeking mm-hmm. a new instance, uh, a new situation for yourself. And this is going to be just the same. Um, I, I, it's, I think there was a percentage out there that was saying like, a quarter or or maybe 
like 15% of every roster has hit the portal at some point. Um, that seems pretty normal and it's, it's going to go up. It feels like, um, so I wouldn't be surprised if the portal becomes a big thing. Um, almost unless there's some real overhaul and oversight, I, I wouldn't be surprised if the portal almost becomes the bigger story from a recruiting standpoint for some colleges. You know, I don't know if that's necessarily going to be Oregon, yeah. but Oregon state, Washington state, um, you know, programs that are playing at the highest level that don't have the resources that an Oregon, a USC, um, a Stanford have, and they, they aren't in recruit, you know, furrow recruiting grounds. They're going to probably hit the portal hard. And it, it wouldn't surprise me if we see teams, get to a 50-50 split every single year. Well, I mean, I think they should, especially for teams like Oregon State or Washington State, like you mentioned. I mean, Oregon State, the reason that they've, they've been kind of decent the last few years is because of the transfer portal. Yep. They've just been able to get talent where they, you know, Pacific, Pacific Coast talent where it didn't really work at whatever school that they went to in the first place. And they picked up those players, brought them in, and – develop the culture around them, then it's worked for them. Um, I think it'll work for a lot of schools. Um, I'm not sure, Matt, you kind of touched on if like, they, if the NCAA would change the portal and kind of the rules. I'm not sure if they would at this point. I know it's a lot of kids going from place to place and school to school, but it seems like it makes the most amount of sense. Um, there's no reason you have to sit out a year if you're if you're a normal student quote-unquote normal student right. uh, if you're transferring institutions um you have to go through all the paperwork and things like that and transcripts but you know that's not sitting out a year so the fact that collegiate athletes had to do that in the first place is is kind of whack for lack of a better word um so i don't anticipate them changing the rule like the immediate eligibility um I just, I think it works. I think it's a new trend. I think it's going to always continue in college football, but I don't think it'll be as this uh, heavily used and heavily broadcasted. Um, I think in like maybe two or three years, it could be a 50-50 split with recruiting, but truly I don't think it'll last this way forever. I think everybody's going to get used to it. Everybody's going to understand. And then I think teams are just going to kind of move on go from there and add it to their recruiting pool. All right. Next question comes from Rajan Patterson. Out of the last few recruits, we are still in the race for 22. Who do you think we are most likely to get? Also, who do you think will be the breakout star for the offense this season? Hashtag odds and audibles. Um, real quick. I, I think really the only prep guy that, that Oregon is, heavily recruiting right now. There's two. Um, Arliss Boardingham, who's a receiver, three-star prospect. He'll announce his decision on Wednesday um, after having some time to, to think it over. And I quite honestly, I right now, I'm kind of would be a little surprised if it is Oregon. Um, it feels like the room is extremely tight. Maybe they can figure out a way. And if, and if there is room, I, I kind of like Oregon's chances. I just don't know if there is or not. And then secondly – Levis Overton, uh, 2023 five-star, he reclassified into the 2022 class, um, and Oregon made his top five. Those are the two recruits that we know of from a prep standpoint. There's 
plenty of portal guys out there. Um, let's spin this around a second here. Jared, mm-hmm. do you think they should go after portal guys? Do you think they should go after any other outstanding, uncommitted prospects in 2022? Or should they just save those scholarships? Because I kind of lean that way. Uh, you lean saving the scholarships? Yeah, unless they can find a, like a running back. Yeah, a running back would be really helpful, just as more depth in that room. I think they only have four scholarships right now, and that's including Seven McGee, who's kind of a wide receiver, I guess, at this point. Um, yeah, I guess I'd have to lean that way as well. I mean, I don't think Oregon really has a shot at Overton. Um, it's amazing that he was able to reclassify this late in the cycle. Um, you know, Oregon did make their top, his top five, which is really impressive, and that kind of shows you the type of relationships that Dan Lanning can have with a, with a player. Um, that being said, Oregon's still going against four really big dogs and four schools who have just as much of an opportunity as a pedigree as Oregon does, if not better. Um, and Overton's dad used to be, what was it here, the associate athletic director at Texas A&M for a decade. Yeah. So that's probably pretty good for pretty A&M. Tough. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think saving scholarships probably is the best. Boardingham's a good prospect. I like his tape. I like the fact that you could potentially see him on defense, but I'd rather have him play like this big wide receiver, this big tight end role. Um, but like you said, Matt, doesn't I, I would also be surprised if it were Oregon at this point. Um, I think the only person I'd go after in the transfer portal who is not a running back is Chase Coda. He's still out there. He's, you know, dad's an Oregon legacy. Um, that would immediately help the wide receiver room, which I think is down to six or seven scholarship wide receivers, yep. which, you know, some someone like Boardingham would help if you play him at wide receiver. But Coda could come in and immediately produce and is used to college football and doesn't need a year and could be that sixth or seventh guy who um, comes in and makes a potential difference, at least provides some veteran leadership in the room. But – yeah, saving those, those scholarships for rollover for next year where you're going to be able to sign a full class seemingly at this point. Um, I think that's the proper way to go about it. And then the second part, breakout star this season um, for the offense. I I feel like the de facto choice here is Byron Cardwell because he's the front runner to be the starter. And – it's going to go from what 400 yards or so rushing to potentially a thousand, maybe more. Mm-hmm. Um, could be an all-conference caliber guy, and yeah, he depends upon the productivity at quarterback and whoever that is. But there's no direct correlation between like a receiver and a quarterback. Where if the quarterback's having a terrible day, the receivers are more than likely not going to have a good day, you know, offensively. A running back could have a career day if the quarterback isn't having a good day. Yeah, I think Cardwell is the obvious pick. Um, I've been thinking about this one and trying to trying to come up with somebody who's a little under the radar. Uh, it's hard to do that when you have Oregon's kind of talent of, of roster here. Um, hmm. I'll go another running back, and I'll go Sean Dollars. Who? I think that's. I think he's just going to be healthy finally, and I think he's finally going to be able to show what he can do. Um, you saw it in 
very brief glimpses in 2019 and 2020, um, like really limited the glimpses. But uh, I think Dollars is extremely talented. He's a bigger back. He's got a lot of speed. Um, kind of reminds me of how Byron Cardwell runs. Um, I think he's maybe a little step a step slower than Cardwell, but I still think Dollars is extremely talented. And if that's your second secondary running back to Cardwell, I think that's a very formidable one too. Um, we clearly haven't seen Dollars get any type of workload. So that'll be something to watch out for going into the season. But I'm still really high on him. You know, he was a consensus four-star prospect, uh, class of 2019, I want to say. Um, uh, number one or number two all-purpose back in the country when they still did all-purpose backs. Uh, yeah, I'm, I think he can be very good next year. I think he will always be kind of second fiddle to Byron Cardwell, barring an injury. But I think that's all right. You've looked at how Oregon's offense has run the last few years. Um, Travis Dye had maybe just as much notoriety as, as C.J. Verdell, maybe not on a national scale, but from an Oregon fan level scale. Those two were basically hand in hand for the last four years. And that's because uh, Dye was able to get almost as many, if not more, carries or touches than Verdell would get in a single game. But he was the first guy off the bench. So I wouldn't surprise to see Kenny Dillingham use a system sort of like that. But it certainly won't be the same kind of offense that we've had in the previous regime. All right, next question from ZB Green. Um, and this is right up Jared's alley and perfect for me as well because I'm going to learn a lot about Oregon baseball. Uh, ZB, I have not historically followed baseball, so Jared, tell me why I should be excited about this upcoming season. What are the expectations for this team? Well, we should be excited about this season because it's baseball. It's the best sport <laughs> on earth. So I think that should be reason number one. Um, so this season, I'll just start like the expectation part of it. Um, I think this is a postseason team. Um, they were a postseason team last year. They were one seed. They held an NCAA regional tournament at PK Park, where they ultimately lost in the most dramatic fashion to L an unranked LSU team. Um, so Oregon loses a lot of players from that talented squad. Um, Arizavala, Gabe Matthews, Kenyon Yovin on offense, which is their three, four, five hitters. Um, so that's, that's hard to replace. And then they lose their entire starting rotation. Um, they're either to the MLB draft or they transferred. So that leads into one of my why you should be excited about this team is because, well, while there is a lot of uncertainty, there is still a lot of talent coming into this program. Um, Coach Mark Wozniakowski has done an excellent job of recruiting at Oregon so far. Um, uh, the bad thing about college baseball recruiting is um, you can sign a, I'll put it in the, in the football terms, where it's like a high four-star or five-star recruit, um, but then they just get drafted by the MLB and go play minor league baseball for a couple of years before reaching the majors. So, um, But Oregon has some talented freshmen coming in. Jacob Walsh is a first baseman prospect who's really talented. There's a really big open spot on the field at first base with Gabe Matthews departing. Um, Walsh is a six foot four, 215 pound freshman, you know, tall, lanky, left hander, uh, hits well, has a lot of raw power in his bat. Um, I think he can perform if he gets off to a hot start this year. Uh, Anson Arrows is a catcher, um, really like his game, but Oregon has Jack Scanlon. Um, Adam Meyer, 
is a right-handed pitcher, a transfer from the University of British Columbia, who could be somebody who's really good. He's already on a, a couple of top 100 draft prospect lists for the MLB draft in 2022. Um, then you have Isaac Aon on the mound, who was a freshman last year. A lot of potential, a lot of talent, really loves the game. Uh, I think he can be someone who makes a name for himself. Um, so this season in general could be a little wonky uh, just because of the youth and inexperience. Um, I think they have the talent to win at the Pac-12 level. The issue is, unlike football, the Pac-12 is probably the second best conference in the country for baseball. I'd say the SEC is number one. So, you know, Oregon's schedule is difficult. Um, I had a series or season preview where I, I predicted the entire season. Um, I expected them to be over 500, which is great. Um, and I think they'll just sneak into a tournament, but be a, um, like a third or a fourth seed in that individual regional bracket. Um, so I think you should be excited because it's going to be, you know, by the time they hit May, it's going to be beautiful weather in baseball at PK Park with its brand new scoreboard and its brand new infield and all of the amenities that are there. Um, so Matt, are you sold? What do, what do we think here? <laughs> do a good enough job? <laughs> I, I, it's an interesting season. Um, Waz, yeah. I thought, showed up year one as the new head coach to replace George Horton. And the year that they had probably is going to generate more eyeballs on this season. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, for the, sure. I, and, and that's that's a good thing because baseball at Oregon prior to Waz arriving was in that state where there was no anger, there was no frustration, there was no joy, no one really cared because they yeah. were the same level of not good enough to, to, to make the tournament, not the worst team in the country, and it was just the same story year over year. And so – it, it feels like there's been a restart to this program. Um, and I can tell you from talking to some people that, that know the, the PK Park, maybe you've seen it already, Jared, the walls have have come in considerably. You brought it up. And they've also yeah. shrunk in height from like eight and a half feet to six feet. Um, yeah. It, it's it's going to be different. And you throw in the metal bats – we might see some more power at PK Park. And for me, like, I think this is a perfect question because you are the expert on baseball between the three of us uh, on this site. Um, I'm probably the most novice of the three. Um, I, I like watching baseball, but I have a hard time getting into it because of the slow nature of the sport. And when under George Horton, station to station baseball was just you know, was painful for me. And mm – -hmm. Year one under Waz, there was home runs, there was doubles, there's you know, big plays. And so for me, like, I don't know who these guys are, but seeing just the progress in one year under Waz and now going into the second year, I'll certainly tune in. I'll, I'll pay more attention um, on these games that are coming up. And the season's right around the corner. Like, yeah. they play in a couple weeks, right? Uh, February 18th is the opening day in San Diego. And a quick look of the schedule. Um, all four games against the Toros are on the radio. So your first chance, if you can't get to Eugene or can't get to San Diego, 
um, is to see them on a live stream against St. John's on the 25th of February. And then the mm -hmm. first time they're on the Pac-12 network or a, a standard TV station uh, is the 28th of Monday against St. John's. Um, what would, real quick, because I want to stay with baseball real, real quickly here. Like, sure thing. How would you just, could, can they not make the tournament and have a, have a successful season? Or is it, as expectations to be deemed successful, air quotes, you've got to make the tournament? No, I think they can have a successful season without making the tournament. Um, they lost a lot. I mean, they've lost the amount of players that somebody like UCLA or Arizona would lose. And for those of you who don't know Pac-12 baseball, UCLA and Arizona and usually Arizona State uh, are all very, very good at baseball. They uh, are constantly at the top of the Pac-12. Uh, Stanford is another team that's always up there, as is Oregon State. Um, so the, the caliber of players that Oregon lost last year rival that to what you know Oregon State or UCLA might lose on almost any given year. Um, the issue with Oregon is they don't have the pedigree of recruiting talent to back it up like Oregon State and UCLA does. So for Oregon to replicate that loss of talent is a, is a lot harder than it is for those couple teams that I mentioned earlier. Um, but they're going to give it their best go. Uh, they have a lot of youth, um, which comes with inexperience, but it also comes with potential. Um, they've got a, a couple guys who are on the top 100 for the uh, draft prospect list for the 2022 MLB draft. Um, they certainly have talent. This is talent that uh, Wazikowski and his coaching staff have developed and turned into better hitters using advanced analytics and launch angle and things like that. Um, you know, this this can be a talented team. It's going to be tough. Baseball season is always long. It's always a marathon, not a sprint. But when you're in the middle of it, it sure feels like a sprint. Yeah. So it'll all be about, um, you know, how does Waz manage the bullpen? How do the starters perform? Who does and doesn't get injured? And I think that's a huge component. Right now, Oregon is fully healthy, according to Coach Wasikowski a couple weeks ago. Um so I, ultimately, to answer the question again, I do think that it could be a successful season regardless of postseason implications. It's just that is the key barometer of whether you had a good season or not. But I still think that Oregon has a chance at getting to the postseason. Well, thanks, ZB Green, for the question. We'll make sure to get more um, Oregon baseball into the discussion, into the rotation here on the pod. Um, and we should also note, vol uh, not volleyball, softball is also starting up here this week. Um, on the 10th, they play Ole Miss. So uh, if, if you are a fan of baseball or softball, I don't know why I just did the, the little bat You're check. practicing right. your hacks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, check, it, check out the Ducks. Their seasons are starting really quickly eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, 
roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, let's move over uh, to the next question. Um, And that comes in from Devin Spruce. Uh, with Lebus Overton reclassifying to the 2022 class and putting the Ducks in his top five, does Oregon have a realistic landing shot to land the top-tier five-star recruit? Um, we touched on this briefly here for a moment. Um, Georgia, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Oregon, and Texas A&M all made the cut. Steve Wiltfong of 24-7 Sports broke this news uh, around signing day, I think the day after signing day. Um, he is a five-star in the 2022 class. He comes in at 17th nationally, the sixth-best defensive lineman. Um, plays his football in the state of Georgia from Milton High School. Um, and Oregon's connection here is probably, one, Dan Lanning, the head coach, who was the Georgia D.C. and had been recruiting uh, Levis pretty hard. And then secondly, probably the brand of Oregon, and third, Kayvon Thibodeau. Um, I, I think the fact that they're in the top five is certainly a case that they're legitimately in this, um, but it's going to be uphill sledding. If you're Oregon, you don't want to be the first official visit. Um, you want to be as late as, as you possibly can. But I, I think right now signs are probably pointing uh, Overton to, to head to A&M, like Jared said, um, his dad was the AD there for a little bit. Makes it makes it tough sledding. But is it a win in of itself for Dan Lanning that they're in this this quickly? Sure. Why not? I mean, this is uh, – if we go back a couple of years ago when Mario Cristobal first took over Oregon, um, I think a lot of Oregon fans were excited to even be mentioned in like the top five or yeah. the top ten of elite – prospects out of high school um this is this is one of those elite prospects out of high school in overton he's a you know a top 20 player in the country uh, you know a top five defensive lineman he's really darn good um so for oregon to get a visit uh potentially get a visit and really try to woo him i think that they would have an outside chance in, in landing him um, I think ultimately a player of his caliber is going to go to somewhere like Ohio State or Texas A&M. Um, you know, they have a long pedigree, especially Ohio State has a long pedigree of, you know, defensive line production, uh, except for this past year. But, you know, you, you look at the Boses and Chase Young, like those are those are guys you can look up to. And when you're when you're a kid who's choosing a college and be like, well, I want to go get coached under that that guy again. Um, yep. Obviously, Oregon has some def- talented defensive linemen in the NFL as well, but you know it's a little different when it's 
recent when Chase Young was just the first or first or second overall pick just a few years ago, and as were the Boses. Um, so by Overton, I I would expect at this point he's probably a Texas A&M guy, which is pretty nuts considering they have like four or five uh, defensive linemen signed in the class, and they're the greatest class of all time according to twenty four seven Sports. So. But, you know, the rich, rich keep getting richer, and uh, Jimbo's going to have to win some football games. Yeah, that's the thing here. Uh, winning some games will be important. Um, DJ uh, Drewster, he sends in the next question. What are you seeing and hearing so far as the biggest differences in recruiting strategies and methods between Laning and Crystal Ball? Uh, and he also wants you to know, Jared, that uh, he used to be a soccer goalie. I don't know mm. what yes what that has to do with it. Um, but I, I remember I his uh, his handle is something uh, something goalie, right? Drew goalie. Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think in uh, a previous podcast, I had asked if he were a hockey goalie, like me, like I used to be. But good, go soccer. Good way to be a keeper. I think I and think that's the answer. Soccer. <laughs> I, I think the answer is, um, to me at least, it's it's very early in the process. So we don't, I mean, we haven't even gone through the first month of a new cycle with Dan Lanning as head coach. Um, so th- the sample sizes are very small, and, and these mm-hmm. almost are going to be a little overreactions or hypothetical discussions you know here but i think the early returns from speaking with recruits has just been oregon's staff because of their youth seems to have a really good connection with um prospects that come to campus and it's not to say that the old mario cristobal staff didn't have those connections they did they they were they made big impressions on um, nearly every recruit and they had good relationships with nearly every recruit that they went after, but they also could be different relationships and and just different kinds of good. Um, A lot of prospects have told me that players, when they come to Oregon and they meet with Dan Lanning and their staff, it feels more like a, a brother to brother or peer to peer relationship than uh, a, a prospect and an adult. Um, mm-hmm. you can read it. You know, that's not a slight at Cristobal at all, but I, I think the advantage that Oregon's going to have is their youth. Yeah. I think the youthful exuberance of this staff has definitely been a key talking point when I've talked to recruits. Um, I've kind of made it a point to ask like, what's it like to deal with a staff that's this young? Um, and I've only found that it just really helps with recruits and their, um, the staff itself is like is up to date. Um, you know, they understand the kids better. Um, I think obviously in recruiting, it's a younger man's game, and being able to get out there as a younger man and, and go recruit at a high level is big and really important for Oregon. Um, but to go to the question, I don't think that there's a lot of differences with how Lanning and Cristobal have recruited. I think there are way more similarities. Um, and I think those similarities are are going after some of the best players in the country and not caring that they're on the other coast as them or that they're thousands of miles away and still recruiting them to the best of their abilities, um, which is what I think got Oregon to that recruiting level that they were at. Because prior to Cristobal, it was a 
you know, lock down the Pacific Northwest and some of California. But for Cristobal and now for Lanning, it's Texas, it's the Southeast, it's the East Coast if there's a prospect that they like. Um, obviously, Southern California and Arizona and uh, the Pacific Northwest as well and keeping players in their backyard. But I think there are a lot more similarities than anything else. Um, and I don't necessarily think that that's a bad thing. Um, the same family culture that you often heard of from Mario Cristobal's visits is still there for Oregon. Um, they treat every individual, at least who I've talked to, they said that they've treated every recruit as if you know they were one of their own and um, made everybody feel like they were as important as didn't matter their star ranking, that they were as important as the best player in the country or as the worst player in the country. Um, so I think the similarities are there, and I think that's a really good thing because I, you know, obviously Oregon was recruiting at a really good level uh, prior to Cristobal leaving, and even still now, considering the timeline yeah. that they've been able to be under. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any negative differences between the two. Um, I think they're operating maybe a little bit different, but mm -hmm. the the end result is probably going to still be the same. Um, I I like the fact that Eric brought this up on a podcast previously, but we're seeing more and more use of the Nike logo on Oregon created graphics. And I don't think oh, that's yeah. just by coincidence. I think that's by, by design here. Um, NIL's a hot topic. Um, it's turning into uh, a driving force for recruits to pick schools and it's turning into a driving force for players to stay with their schools or to hit the portal for a school that can better present uh, NLI options. And so I think mm -hmm. There's no better. There's no better or bigger brand in athletics, no matter the sport, for the most part and the level, than Nike. And Oregon has a direct tie to them. And it wouldn't surprise me if they're the only school that gets to use that logo, you know, officially for recruiting, you know, graphics and what what have you. So that's a positive. Um, I I do think we've noticed uh, some more video come out from recruiting um, than we did previously. I think that's a, a positive um, from, from a, a landing perspective, but we've had three weeks where recruits could be on campus with Dan Lanning as head coach. Um, it's too hard too early right now to make wide sweeping judgments. Um, but I think early indications nonetheless are that the expectations is that Oregon should continue to recruit at a high level. And I don't know if it's, Fair, even if Cristobal was here to say that top 10 classes were the expectation, but they should become normal where it's not a surprise that Oregon has a top 10 recruiting class. Yeah. And you look at the staff that Lanning has acquired around them and that's what you should expect. So I think Oregon is certainly on their way there. Uh, like Matt, like you just said, it's just, you know, still really early. It's three weeks where Oregon can have players on campus for the first time and, last two months or so with under landing, it's just been him and his staff and trying to hire them first off and then them running around like a chicken with their heads cut off, going out and recruiting in Texas and the Southeast and all these other places. So um, I think it'll all come together. Um, really wouldn't take too much stock into what 
um, the 2022 class recruiting cycle looked like. Um, like it was all really pushed together, but you know, you take some things out of it for sure. You can't just ignore all the all everything. But I think the way that Oregon's going to approach the 2023 class, including starting this summer and seeing what they do for recruiting camps, there's things like that. Um, I think is going to be the ultimate outlook on how you can start comparing the two. I've got a question for this mailbag just for you, Jared. What happened mm. Sunday against Arizona State? A weekend in mm. lost in the desert for the women's team. 0-2 for the first time in a long time that I can remember. Um, 2015. Yeah, it's, it's it's been seven years. What happened in what happened in Phoenix and just how does this team rebound with a week of Washington State on Wednesday, and then they've got Oregon State twice this week. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be tough sledding. Yeah. Um, it was a, just a terrible basketball game. That's as, as simple as that on both sides. Um, Arizona was – Arizona State, excuse me, was one for 14 in the first quarter. Uh, and shot a, a whopping, I think it's a 7% clip. So that's really good, but Oregon just couldn't separate themselves away from Arizona State. Um, I think they held Arizona State to 30% shooting on the night. Um, the disparity came at the free throw line where Arizona State shot 23 free throws, made 16 of them, and Oregon shot eight and made four. Um, so that could be the overall difference maker in the game. Um, Arizona State just seemingly, they, they were more passionate about the game. They played harder despite the uh, difficulties of scoring the ball. They were not shy to take shots. Um, Oregon got plenty of open looks. None of their shots fall. It was kind of like the first half against Arizona. Um, it was it was a bit of an alarming game because in that first half specifically, where Arizona State only shoots 19% from the floor to begin with, um, they only go into halftime up three, 23 to 20. And I, I'm not sure if it's just uh, this part of the season where it's beginning to get, you know, the team is tired or the team is just mentally is check, kind of checked out. Um, I don't believe either of those to be the case, but this is a, this is a roadblock. Um, Coach Graves after the game yesterday said that this was uh, probably the low point of the season. And, uh, you know, I think that's, that's fair. Um, you haven't really gotten production out of Tahina Pow Pow recently. She's really struggled. I think she only made four field goals this entire weekend. Um, you can't have that. Uh, her and Niara Sabali against Arizona State combined to go five for 25 from the floor. Also can't have that. Um, Sabali has been dealing with some injuries recently. Uh, she left Arizona early, didn't play the last two minutes. Uh, she left the game twice, I think, against Arizona State. One was because of fall on her back. Um, you know, just once, excuse me. She left twice against Arizona, but once against Arizona State. Um, she's Coach Graves got into it afterwards and said that she's playing through a lot, but couldn't get into specifics. So, you know, you have to just – this team has to just find a way. Um, they were on a really hot streak beforehand, uh, winning seven of eight. But, you know, 0-2 in the desert is is really, honestly, it's unacceptable, especially the Arizona State loss. Um, Arizona, you understand, even though they just beat them. But the Arizona State game was just um, 
probably one of the worst basketball games I've ever watched <laughs> from a pure offensive standpoint. Nobody made any shot ever. It was it was bad. ASU is not a good offensive team in their own no. right. And no. That's kind of their, their MO. They want to make games ugly as can be, and it felt like mm-hmm. Morgan fell into that trap. So um, curious to see how they rebound. I mean, Washington State's – I don't want to say the Cougars are, are – doormats but they're going to be tougher than you know than, than they're going to play they're going to play the same style as arizona state and arizona yeah. did and try to muddy up the game so oregon has to finally hit some shots and it's an away game on wednesday at a noon tip-off time strange so that's tough. that's a makeup game right yeah it's a rescheduled yeah, yeah. oregon could have six games in the next two weeks here and I think that's what it's going to be heading for, including a date with Stanford at, at Matthew Knight. So it doesn't get necessarily any easier because you have two against Oregon State, too. Who, granted, Oregon State isn't the best this year, but they're still your rival. And then on the men's side, they've got a big week coming up, um, getting their first road victory ever at Colorado, sweeping Utah for the first sweep ever against the Mountain School. Huzzah. Yeah, they return home to uh, Eugene for a Stanford, Cal, Washington State set, set up where they play three games in six days um, for the men's side. An important weekend on the court for the Ducks as well as off with five-star Mookie Cook on campus for both the Stanford and Cal games for an official visit. So um, we'll have more on men's and women's basketball later this week, but uh, thank you for submitting your questions. Thank, thank you for listening to the show. Hey, softball starts this week. Baseball starts in about a week and a half. We've got men's and women's basketball galore, uh, and recruiting never stops for Oregon football. So check out DuckTerritory.com for more. Uh, until the next episode, you've been listening to the Odds and Audible's podcast. Peace. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must Listen, download, and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found.